0: Just re-
1: Well, amen. Boy, that's uh, something we all ought to long for, to hunger for Him. That's wonderful. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 13. I'd like to tell you that I have a special message because of the VBS, but I don't. I do tonight, though. Tonight I do as we kick off Vacation Bible School. I'll be dealing with that tonight and looking a little bit into that. We um, have a meeting tonight for all the workers involved in that process, and it's, uh, it's going to be detailed, and we're going to try to get through it quickly. I know Brother Josh has a couple things for his group that he's going to try to get some in and some out quicker and things like that. So it depends on where you're at, how long the meeting will be, but it's going to be a meeting that's very, very important, very necessary, and Something that's critical in our success as we look forward to the week. So I want to encourage you to be back and be a part of that, especially if you're a worker. And if you're not, I want to invite you back tonight, six o'clock. We'll be back on. It's not the same message in the morning, in the nighttime as it is in the morning. It's always different. And our goal is to encourage and to uplift and to exhort. And we want to be a blessing to you tonight. So why don't you come on back and be a part of the service. I think the message will be an inspiration to you. I thought about preaching it this morning, but uh, didn't get the green light. And so instead, uh, I want to share from Luke chapter 13 today. Beginning in verse 10. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, but not each of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? When he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. <clears throat> years ago, we were doing some renovating of classrooms, uh, upstairs in one of our buildings and I still remember uh, being a a major part of that and um, I still remember they would ship bundles of two-by-fours to the building and I would uh, we would take those two-by-fours and frame in some walls and do some work and what I found was that at times I would pull a two-by-four out of the pile and I'd go to set it into the framework so to speak or to build that frame only to find that that Particular two-by-four was warped and crooked. And so being warped and crooked, we sometimes could work with it depending on how bad it was. But if it was really bad, there were times you just couldn't use it. It was that bad, it just was that crooked that it made it almost impossible to use. So what I started doing is I would go down to the hardware store and I would literally pick out all the two-by-fours. And so I'd be down there and I'd be examining all the two-bys. I'd slide them off the pile and I'd take a look down that side and try to see if it kind of went this way or that way, if it bowed this way. If it bowed this way, sometimes you could straighten it out, you'd be okay. But sometimes they just took real curves, you know, crooked, extremely crooked. I know I, I tried often to try to straighten out two-by-fours and of course having hands of steel and this body of molten muscle. Even I found it impossible to bend a crooked two-by-four. And so, as I said, I would pick out the lumber myself. Because no matter what I did, I couldn't straighten out what was crooked. I just couldn't straighten it out. You know, it's believed that Jesus is in a synagogue in a place called Perea. He'd been in that area for probably about six months, ministering and reaching out and trying to, of course, expand his ministry. Ministering in that region that long meant that his fame and reputation had grown. It was customary at that time for the priest to invite someone to share a message in the synagogue. And as as was customary again the honor was extended to either a member of the congregation, and again, it wasn't someone that had to be ordained, but a member of the congregation from time to time, and if and when a visiting pastor or preacher, so to speak, was in the area, an invitation to speak was often given. In this particular case, Jesus is, is, uh, again, with his growing reputation and the fact that many of the people really wanted to hear what Jesus had to say, The priest was kind of in a position where he almost had to extend, I would imagine, an invitation. And so Jesus is in this synagogue now. And he is going to prepare to speak. And while he is speaking, he spies a woman. He sees a woman who had, as he said, a spirit of infirmity. A spirit of infirmity for 18 years. What we're going to learn here as we read through the passage is that that spirit of infirmity was a result of satanic bondage. That this woman was bent and she was physically affected by satanic influence. It's amazing sometimes, you know, we hear the Critics say things like, well, if God was a God of love, why does He allow good people to be hurt? Why does He let this happen? And why does He let that happen? And why is God permitting this stuff to take place? I'm going to tell you, God's not the one doing it, first of all, so we better be careful that we don't blame Him. He never intended that good people be hurt and harmed, but the truth is, let's be honest. Is there a good one among us? At least according to Romans, there's... No good, not one, he says. And we're not talking about just doing good things. We're talking about being good in comparison to a holy, righteous God. But it is Satan that is at the root, and it's Satan that's at the foundation of hurt and heartache. It's always Satan, the destroyer, the deceiver that's at the root of that. God, in His mercy, His grace, permits things to go on. Is an attempt to either draw us closer to Him or allow someone to come to Him. Here He is now. He sees this woman. 18 years she's been afflicted. 18 years she's been bent over. 18 years she's been in pain and suffering. And Jesus, while He's speaking, notes her, sees her, recognizes her in the crowd. The Bible tells us that He saw her, then he called her to him. Again, his reputation preceded him. And I have to believe that the woman got up out of her chair and began the long and painful journey forward. I believe she's thinking to herself, my goodness, this is Jesus. This is the, mas- this is the one I've heard about. He has healed so many. He's calling me up. He's calling me forward. I got to believe that she was excited for a moment there, and yet she was somewhat apprehensive, because see the mood of the priest wasn't quite as pleasant. See, Jesus had healed before on the Sabbath, and Jesus had shared before on the Sabbath. And the fact is, is that every time Jesus did some healing work on the Sabbath, the priest and other authorities were in the were not impressed at all. As a matter of fact, they were upset with the Lord. Matter of fact, they thought that he was breaking the law. They thought somehow he was in opposition to God Himself. And so once again, here he is. And so Jesus calls her forward. And she makes her way forward. I can only imagine, as I watch her making her way, she gets out of that seat somehow. And I don't know how she made her way, but the Bible says that she was bowed together. You get the impression that, I don't know about you, have you ever seen a bow, you know, and how strong and how it just bends the the bow back, that string bends it back. I get, it's almost like there's a string between her head and her toes and her back is bowed. Her body's bowed and she walks forward. I think she's probably taking smaller steps because she can't deal with the pain and the, the, the excruciating pain in her body. And she's making her way forward slowly toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Eighteen years. One can only imagine the crowd. (laughs) Will he do it again? I've heard about this Jesus. I saw him. Did you see him do this? I haven't seen him, but I've heard some great things. Oh, I saw him. You should have... Oh, shh, quiet. Is he going to do it? I want to see him do something. I want to see him do a miracle. I want to see him... What's he going to do next? And of course... (laughs) The priest. She's making her way down that aisle, that trying to get to the front, and he's got a scowl on his face. Oh, Jesus, I man, he better not heal her in my synagogue. I've heard about him, troublemaker. You didn't have to wait long for the answer. <laughs> the Bible says, And he said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. I mean, amazing, isn't it? Here she is, 18 years, bowed together, string between her head and toes, so to speak, can't stand up on her own, bent over, bowed back, and Jesus simply touches her, and she immediately stands up, straight. What was crooked is now straight. Oh, wow. What an amazing miracle. Oh, I'm sure that she had asked her friends, do you have any kind of ointment I can put on my back? Do you have any kind of medicine I can take? Do you know of any chiropractor available here and anywhere in the area? I need somebody to give me some relief. No one could relieve her. No one could take the bow out of her back. No one could straighten her up. But Jesus, she was made straight. And the Bible tells us that the moment she was made straight, she glorified God. I mean, the priest is fuming, and he's on his way to the front. And he looks out on the crowd, and he glares upon them, and he says, There are six days in which men ought to work. You say, oh, you're reading into that. Oh, really? The Bible tells us that, that over here in, in the ch- chapter 13, it says, let me find it for you here. It says um, that he answered with indignation. He was angry. He was upset. He wasn't happy in the least. And he looks out there and he says to them, he says, man, man, There are six days in which men ought to work; in them, therefore, come and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Jesus responds to that, doesn't he? The Lord then answered him and said, "Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox and his ass from the stall and lead him away to be to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of, of..." Of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loose from the this bond of the on the Sabbath day. I mean, he's looking and he says, "Now listen, will you meet the need of your ox and ass on the Sabbath day? But this woman's need is to go unmet. I mean, will you show more concern for an animal than you will a human being?" If provision is made in the law to care for the needs of a barnyard animal, certainly there must be provision extended to care for a person. And the Bible says that his adversaries were ashamed. And the people, they rejoiced because of the great miracle. Boy, what a wonderful example of the power of the Savior. The Bible says, and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. I like that. You know, as I read that, I couldn't get away from this thought. This woman who was bowed together was made straight. And here's what I thought. Jesus made the crooked straight. Wow. Jesus made the crooked straight. I don't know about you, but that's pretty big time. Yeah, amen. Do you know what I found in the world in which we live? And I've not lived as much life as some, but I've lived enough life to know that crookedness isn't really the exception. It's pretty much the norm. You say, what? At least biblically it is. The way God express, expresses it, the way God explains it. I mean, I'm I, I just as I see life, as I look at as I look at the world in which we live, as I look at our culture and our society, as I view even churches across America. It seems to me that at times the crookedness of mankind seems to continually show up. It's not so uncommon. Matter of fact, it seems pretty normal. Look if you would in Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Chapter 32, verse 5, Deuteronomy. Of course, back in Deuteronomy, we're dealing with, again, the people of God. We're dealing with Israel here. And notice what he says in chapter 32, verse 5 of Deuteronomy. It seems to be a natural tendency of people to do these things. But notice it says, they have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. You say, what does that mean? They're not recognized as his children, the way they live and they act. There's nothing to identify them as God's people. Notice he goes on to say, they are a perverse and a what? Crooked generation. So we look at this crookedness and say a crooked generation, a generation that's corrupted themselves, a generation that does not appear to be godly, a generation that doesn't reflect Christ. A crooked generation. In Psalm 125, verse 5, it says, As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead lead them forth with the workers of iniquity, but peace shall be upon Israel. Back in Psalm 125, it says that. But notice it says, as for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways. He says in Isaiah 59, 8, the way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their going. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. So we see that there's a crooked generation. We note that there are crooked ways. We realize there are crooked paths. We see it's clearly in the scriptures. The word crooked being used here to, to show us again, abandon things away from God, abandon things away from moral co- character, abandon things, a crookedness. And that was true over in Israel. May I say today, I believe it's true today in the church and I think it's true in our culture, and our society. There is a bend away from morality. There's a bend away from what is right and true. There's a bend away from Christ-likeness. There is a crookedness, isn't there? Because, see, it's really more natural than we would like to admit from time to time. Even in our own lives. I mean, who, made, who is the author of this crooked theme? Well, we kind of touched on it earlier, but the Lord made it clear that Satan hath bound. And so what I believe we learn is that Satan makes things crooked. But God makes things straight. In Isaiah 27, verse 1, look if you would in that passage. We're going to see a a creature called Leviathan. But I want you to know that it's none other than Satan. I know somebody wants to say that it's some creature that was on the earth at the time, a big old creature, blah, blah, blah. But if you read the description of Leviathan in the Bible... You can't help but see Satan all over it. Look at what it says in, in this particular passage. Isaiah 27, verse 1. Satan makes things crooked, but God makes things straight. Isaiah 27, 1. In that day, we talked about this the other day in one of our services. In that day puts us where Again. Over there in the millennial reign of Christ, the the tribulation millennial reign, right in those times where there's a transition being made to his kingdom. Right on through that thousand years. A day uh, uh, is is, as a thousand years to the Lord. And here in that day, the Lord with his sore and great strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent. He's talking about Satan. You see Leviathan in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. You you see him clearly there. And now we see that the Lord's going to put him in his place. He's going to punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent. You see that? Crooked serpent. Uh, He's not saying crooked just in the sense that he's crooked in his back, like Our Lady was in the passage. We're talking about crooked in character. And he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Again, Satan again is the author of this crookedness. He's the one where it all begins. He's the one where it all festers and where it all grows. If there's any crookedness in our culture, there's any crookedness in our pathway, there's any crookedness in the way in which we travel, may I say it's simply a result of allowing Satan to have his way in our life. But (laughs) we know there is hope. Plenty of it. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Look at verse 4. Isaiah 40 verse 4. We are this close to being at the last page of the notes. One verse. This verse stands between you and my last page of notes. Amazing, isn't it? We'll see how long it takes now. Don't set your watches, but we'll see how long it takes. Notice Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4. But we note there is hope. Isaiah 44, verse 4. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Now, I got a sneaking suspicion. If you go back and read Isaiah chapter 40 on into 39, 38, 37, you know, dry bones, you'll see that God's dealing with Israel and he's going to restore Israel back to their homeland. So what are we dealing with again? The day of the Lord. What we're seeing is that the Lord in the future, at some point in the future, is going to make straight that which is crooked. Israel has gone the wrong path. They've gone the wrong direction. They don't even recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Savior. But one day they're going to get it all right. It's going to be made straight. God's going to straighten them out. By the way, it's Him that's got to do the straightening. Remember, I'm not strong enough to straighten just a two-by-four, let alone your life. I'm not strong enough or big enough to straighten anybody out. The only one I can control is me. The only one you can really control is you. And there are, as parents, the responsibilities to help our children to fly straight. And as pastors, we're to do our best to help the congregation to fly Straight. But when it's all said and done, you'll make your own decision. Israel's made some bad decisions. Unfortunately, they've gone crooked on some things. God says, "Listen, uh, there's a day coming, and I'm telling you that every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough place is plain. How's that going to happen? Well, in Isaiah 42, 16, notice what the Bible says there. And I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them, and crooked things stray. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Hey, how in, the world does the, how, how in the world does the crooked become straight? I'll tell you. Jesus says, I will. It's all God. It's all Christ. It's all Him. In Isaiah 42, uh, 45, verse 2, it says, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. See, God has a purpose and a plan for you too. God wants us to be straight. God wants us to be in line. He doesn't want us going crooked. He doesn't want our lives crooked. He doesn't want our marriages crooked. He doesn't want our families crooked. He doesn't want anything in our life to be... He wants it to be straight. Right, amen. But only He can do that. We're looking to doctors and psychologists and we're looking to all kind of Uh, relational books and studies and self-help things to try to fix our problems today. It's not wrong to seek out help. The only problem is there's only help in one person and it's found in Christ. Now listen, if you, you can go and search every PhD you want for answers, but if they neglect to insert God in the process, if they fail to put Him as preeminent in the process, then my friend, I want you to know nothing will ever become straight. You may be able to put a little bit of healing salve on the problem. You may feel a little better about yourself, your marriage, your family. You may feel pretty good about the culture in which you live if you just hear enough of that, but in the long run, down deep, you know, nothing's changed unless Jesus changes it. And God has a purpose and a plan for you and I as believers in our generation as well. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, please. See, the interesting thing is, is that Israel may have gone crooked and in the Old Testament, he makes it clear they have, but he says, one day, I'm going to make it straight. I'm going to make them straight even. But may I say today that we have Christ living in us. So therefore, it is possible that at any given moment, you and I, if there's anything crooked about us, I'm not just talking about what we do, what we say, but maybe even what we think. Our perspective, our attitude, our outlook anything that's crooked, anything that deviates and goes a different direction than God would have it go. If there's any crookedness in us, we have access to the Savior right now. And the very one that healed that bowed-back woman is able to loose the string that stands between us and uprightness. And we can be free to stand straight again. Who's doing the binding? We know Satan is. You you say, I've messed up. I've made a many mistake. You know what? That's fine. But listen, the Lord is powerful enough to overcome the mistakes. He's able to overcome the crookedness. And don't think for a minute that you haven't been being led by Satan. This is a spiritual battle you've been fighting. If it's an attitude, an action, no matter what it is, that you feel that you're not in alignment with God and his word, let me tell you, Satan's been at work in your life. But notice what he wants for us as believers. Philippians 2.15 That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a what? Crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to illustrate this. Can I have all four of you fellows in the front row? Come on up here real quick. Just stand, um, stand across the back here. Kind of get back. Well, either way, we're going to lose. Put two of you over here and two of you over there real quick. Okay, right here, starting right here. There you go. That's good. Right there, brother. Facing that way. All right, good. Now, we got these fellas, okay? I wish I could do it all the way across, but it wouldn't be effective right here in front of the pulpit anyway. But notice what the passage says. He says here that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Practically speaking, the believer is to be shining as a light. What does that mean? If, if the world is a crooked and perverse and we're to be shining as lights, then what does that mean? Here's what it means. Can I just show you what it means practically? Bend over. That's, that's a little more. Like, no, not that much. About, you know, get that string. your bow. bowed, okay? You know how a bow is? There you go, bow down, bow. Ooh, there it is, yeah. Okay, go ahead and bow down there a little bit. Bow down there. That's how. That's how our 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 the woman in our passage was, right? She she had a bowed back. Satan had caused this problem. The world in which we live is is depicted as being a crooked and perverse generation. This is how God sees our generation. Why? Because. A culture has departed from God and His Word. We know that's the case. You say, well, He's not really saying that specifically about our generation. You tell me that's not true, though. And if it's we're just as wicked and sinful as they were back then, may I say God's looking at us and saying, well, you have deviated as a culture, as a country, as a nation. You are crooked. But He says about us as believers... That you are to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. What's he saying? That you are to be visible, visibly different. Oh, wait a second. You know what that means? Look at this. Is there a difference? Is there a difference? Without a doubt, there's a difference. Do you know what the difference is? They're crooked I'm straight. Do you know who's the author of straightness, so to speak? The one who makes us straight out of our crooked situation, who brings us from this place to this place? It's none other than Jesus Christ. And may I say that even though God comes along or a soul winner comes along and shares Christ with this man, this young man who's lost, and he ultimately gets straightened out in his, his, his attitude toward Christ and his, his understanding of salvation, and he receives and accepts the Lord, may I say that the temptation in the world in which we live is to start to allow Satan to bend us again. And yet the Bible tells us that we are to be a light in a world where it's crooked and perverse. We're to be standing straight and tall. There ought to be a visible difference in our outlook, our attitude, our actions, our words, our expressions, what we like, what we don't like compared to a crooked and perverse world in which we live. Thank you, fellas. You can go. I appreciate your help. I wonder are your ways, your paths, your life, your marriage, your children, your family, your thought life, your outlook, is it crooked at all? Is there any bend from God and His Word? Away from God and His Word? in any area of your life? And if so, then we would say that to some degree or another, you're crooked, biblically speaking. So how can you get straightened out then? I want to give you a couple thoughts. Here they are. Trust me, short. Number one, You have to listen to the master. You say, I I know that. (laughs) This preacher thinks he's got something new for me. Listen, I've been told that my whole life. Yeah, I know. Isn't it funny? I'm thinking about this woman in the back of the synagogue or somewhere seated in the synagogue, and here she is, her back is bent, and she probably went there not expecting to be healed that day. Uh, She could have been on the back row in her pain and suffering. She could have slipped on out and sat in the foyer. She could have gone to the bathroom and never came back. She could have done all the things that we like to do as excuses for not hearing the word. But she stayed there. Why? She had to listen. She was interested in what the master had to say. So much so, she was willing to be uncomfortable in that service even. She figured, why not go to church? I mean, I'm going to be uncomfortable anyway. I might as well hear what God has to say because if I want to ever even hope to be straightened out, I'm going to have to hear from Him because He's the only one that can help me. There she is. And the Master, He's going, he starts his little dialogue. He begins to share from the Word of God. And the Bible tells us very clearly that he saw her. He called her to him. You know what that means? She had to be listening. Do you want to know why many times we continue in this state in our life, our marriage, our families, our homes, our lives? Because we're not really listening. We're not really listening. Oh, we, we know we know God is there. We, we admit that there's a God in heaven. We, we say all the right things when asked the right questions. But we're not really listening. You know, being crooked is miserable. The devil, he is such a good deceiver that he makes us believe when we're like this, in pain and suffering... That this is living. This is living. Wow, this is awesome. Oh, oh, oh I can't get up. Oh, this is living. I love it. Wow. Would you like to be straight? I don't know. Do I have to give something up? Well, no, this is living. Well, my marriage, it's important, but do that? Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm living. That's the devil. That's how deceptive he is. you got to listen to the master. The woman was listening and she heard his call. Number two, you have to come to the Savior. I remember playing at my friend Danny Smith's house. We'd play under his porch and we had trucks and stuff and he had dirt under there and we'd dig holes and we'd go around acting like we're on some construction site. Man, we had a good time. My dad, he used, to, he used to whistle for us. And he'd whistle. I don't even know how he does it. I never learned that trick. But all I know is that I could hear him calling. I knew when my dad wanted me home. I had no doubt about it. We lived just a, a house or two down, he did. But I, that, that whistle would pierce through everything. And I knew when dad was calling I probably told it recently, I think, but I still remember when we were down there one day, my three brothers and I, and I still remember my dad whistling and that meant come home now. And uh, we decided not to come home. See, we heard my dad. We were listening for the whistle. We just didn't want to go to him. I mean, we had our own agenda. We had our own plans, right? We, We knew what we wanted in life at that point, and it wasn't going home. And all of a sudden, around the corner, I could see my dad starting down the street. And my brother and I slipped out the side, I guess, or out the back, and took off running the long way home, hoping to avoid my dad. But my brother was not smart. <laughs> he was younger than we were, and he just hung out there, and he kept playing. Until my dad got down there, and he'd come out of there, and he was like... And my dad's like, get over here. He gets over there, my dad pulls his... Off, and starts up the street. He's going. He ah, 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 ah. said that's abuse. Yeah, he's still living. He's fine. You know, it's funny. He still goes to my parents' house because he loves them. You, Oh, wait, he still still visits my parents because he what he he loves them. How could he love them after they treated him like that? Do you know the ones that don't really seem to love their parents anymore? The ones that don't get some of that. Right. You can go ahead and call it, go, make them into beasts and make them into monsters and do all blah blah blah. Go ahead, spare the rod. You hate your child. The Bible says, Amen. not spoil them. You hate them. Sorry, I thought throw that in because I think we need it today. But notice. Crooked straight, you have to listen. Hey, you know what? The problem wasn't that I didn't hear my dad. The problem was I didn't want to go to him. You may be hearing the voice of God from time to time. You just aren't willing to go to him. Again, you're content with this right here. This is good enough. I hear you. You want to make me straight. I just need to come to you, draw nigh to you, and you'll draw nigh to me. I'm content where I'm at. and then finally you have to allow him to touch you see the bible tells us there in that passage again it's real clear that it says he called her to him and said unto her woman thou art loose from thine infirmity and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight she's back there she's in the service She's making sure she's listening. She hears the call. She moves toward the Savior. And then Jesus says, I'm going to loose you from your infirmity. Now, let me touch you. And she says, no. No. Have you ever been with a child that does that? You go to say, it'll be okay. And they're like, you don't touch me. You know, there are wives like that our husbands like that eventually we get bitter because of circumstances situations in our lives and we don't want anyone to touch us can i tell you that you'll never be made straight that you will always be bowed back if you don't let the master touch your life It's not enough to just know he's calling. It's not enough to believe he's in existence, that he's real. I hear his voice and he's even calling me. I know he wants more for me than I want for myself. But I'm not willing to let him touch me. You say, how do you make the crooked straight? First of all, he's the only one that can do it. But you have to let him touch you. Why won't we let him touch us? Maybe we're actually bitter toward God. Maybe we don't like the circumstances and the situation that he's put us in. Because it's always God's fault, right? We could debate that, obviously. Too many times we're victims of our own failures. The consequences of our sin are a direct result of our bad decisions, not God's desire. But yet he still will make good out of a bad situation if we'll let him touch us. Maybe you just want to hold on to it as we talked about. You're holding on to what you believe is living. You're unwilling to make a level of commitment to the master. You're not willing to let go of anything else. You're like that monkey, so to speak, that puts his hand in that little trap and goes to pull out the food but the hole's only big enough if his hand is open to slide it in and out the moment he grabs the candy the moment he grabs the the banana the moment he grabs some other inst- something in there that he wants to eat his hand expands that he can't pull it out and that's what we're like sometimes we're all the way out here and we hear the call and 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 and, and, and we We want, there's a part of us even that wants to go to the master, but we're just holding on and we can't get away. You got to let go of what's holding you back. And you can do that because you're the one holding on to it. And then once you get there, you have to be willing to let him touch your life. And that means allowing him to change you. Giving him preeminence, priority, allowing him to do what only he can, and that is to make the crooked straight. What's, this, what's crooked in your life today? Can I, can I just be transparent and tell you that, not transparent, but can I just be honest and tell you this? If you have a marital problem today, you have a you problem. It's not always all the other person. You have a problem, and that means there's a little bend somewhere or a big bend somewhere. You can't change them, but you can let God touch and change you. If you're waiting for someone else to respond to God's touch, if you're waiting for them to measure up to your expectation, my friend, you are a miserable person continually. Teenager, your parents are not going to change for you. You got a bad attitude toward them, it's because Satan's got a hold of your heart and he's crooked, made you crooked. You want to be loosed and stand straight, you're going to have to not only hear, what, hear God speaking, not only go to God, but you have to let him touch you. Not, not change your parents, Change you. Touch you. And that's true in all of our lives. What is it that God wants to straighten out in your life today? Is it an attitude? Is it one of your actions? Is it something that we do habitually? Is it something that we're, 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 we're aware of? We just choose not to do anything about, but it is affecting our lives, whether we want to admit it or not. We think it's living, but it's not living. Because it is a byproduct of Satan in your life. And he is, as the Bible says, the destroyer. He, is, he wants to destroy you. So don't think for a minute anything he has for you is worth holding on to. Get rid of it as fast as you can. And come to the Savior and let him touch you. Open your eyes, your heart, and your mind to his word. Choose to obey his voice. Align your life, your attitude, your thoughts with the word of God. Put your home in order based on this, not on what you've heard, read, or seen anywhere else. Let this be the guide. Him and his word. Let him touch you. Let him change you. Let him make you straight.